I would encourage you to think about it prayerfully. Maybe even if you're not sure, you could just ask Lauren for some contact information or give her your contact information and pray about it and, and, and make a decision. But we, we, um, we're excited that we have had a part in impacting people's lives and then they go out and want to serve the Lord in, in ways that will make a huge difference in our culture, in our society, and in our world. Um, Jose mentioned the small groups are coming also. Uh, what will be coming soon also will be some sign-ups and some information on um, dinner groups, that is, taking young people out to dinner. So if they're at CNU or if they're at Thomas Nelson, or we also have sometimes, uh, we'll have some uh, single military people that are of that age. We, we want to be able to make connections between people in this church and so have people who are willing to take them out for dinner, maybe Sunday after church, have them in their home, maybe on a weeknight, whatever, and, and just extend that hospitality um, to them and also use it to be able to uh, create relationships and, and break down barriers because that's, that's an area where we could, we could do some work. All right. I want to uh, read this uh, scripture from Matthew chapter nine that we're going to be looking at. This is a very familiar, I have talked about it or alluded to it a number of times in, in the past six months or so. I, I understand that, but today I want to take it and then I want to, I want us to kind of pull out now some very practical applications, some, how, how does this work in our lives? Starting with verse 9, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right, there is this amazing thing, and this is an amazing thing about the church and and why I love the church so much the way God has set this up, is that the church doesn't exist for the people who are inside the church. The church exists for the people who are not here. That's why we are here. Now, church, Sunday morning, we're here to glorify God. It also, scripture tells us, for the edification of the saints. But the purpose is to equip the saints. Why? So that they reach the people who are not here. So the purpose of the church is not who's here this morning, it's who's not here this morning. That's, that's very much what God wants us to be about, because God's desire is that his kingdom would be on earth just like it's, it is in heaven. And the early church lived that. Now, I know we tend to glamorize the early church. We tend to, to, you know, the early church sounds like this incredible super church. They had their problems. We see that in the epistles. They had some significant issues that they struggled with and, and, and things that, that, that happened that were difficult. They struggled just like we struggle. But one of the things about the early church is in spite of their struggles, in spite of all those differences they had, they were sold out to Jesus Christ. They believed what he said, and they endeavored to live it as best they could. And God's plan is to reach this whole world. Why? Because he loves the world. He loves the whole world. Simply this, people matter to God. People matter to God. Which people matter to God? All people matter to God. How much do they matter? More than we could possibly imagine. They matter to God. They're worth the life of his beloved son. 
Therefore, people should matter to us. Which people should matter to us? All people should matter to us. How much should they matter to us? More than we can possibly imagine. That's how much they should matter to us. Why did Jesus have so much trouble getting his disciples and his early followers to get on board with this idea? Why does he have so much trouble in this day getting his church to get on board with this idea? And I think it's because there's this problem. There's a dynamic in life that goes very deep. And we need to talk about this for a minute before we delve into the text. So I just want just to talk about this for a minute. And it, one of the foundational aspects of the whole discipline of sociology is the fact that human beings are tribal creatures. They tend to join together in groups just by nature. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But the problem is, even though God made us this way, sin came and has messed this up. And now we use those tribal groups, those different, whatever, we use them to divide the human race. And, and a couple, few weeks ago, we talked about that. Groups set up boundary markers. How do we know who's in and who's out? How do we know who's one of us and who's just them? Who's the other? And it's, we do it. We divide people up into us and them. And we tend to think that it's all about us and not so much about them. And we tend to think, if you think about this, this is a very interesting dynamic. We tend to think the people in our group show a lot of interesting variety. But the people who are not in our group, they're just kind of the same. And so we generalize them in a way that we would never accept with ourselves. Now... There's tons of studies that have shown this. In one study, it was interesting when I, I ran across, they had some, some young boys and they divided them into groups totally at random. And, and they did it a number of times, but one time it was just a flip of the coin. They showed the boys, I'm flipping, your heads, you're that group. I'm flipping, your tails, you're that group. Your heads, you're that group. Tails, that group. They divided them in a totally random way. And in a very short period of time, the boys that were in each group quickly decided that their group was more likable and smarter than the other group. The other group were dummies. The other group were a bunch of losers. They just came to this conclusion after randomly being picked. Now, some of you are here, and you're not boys. You're women, and you're thinking, that is so typical of boys. <laughs> girls would not do such a thing. Well, actually, girls are even worse. I say this not on the basis of any study I've read, but it's just because I'm a boy. So we put people into categories based on tribe, us and them. It can be around politics. My side, your side. My side's totally right, your side's totally wrong. If you cannot imagine, if you cannot understand why someone would take a position opposite of your position, then what happens is you tend to demonize them. You tend, to, you tend to say negative things about them. You tend to insult their intelligence. You tend to, just because they don't agree with you. Now, I understand there are going to be things we're not going to agree on. But if you can't, and this is that whole thing, we've talked about this before, of self-awareness. If you can't understand why someone takes a different position, then you're struggling with self-awareness. Because oftentimes they don't take a different position out of hate. They don't take a different position out of any kind of nefarious reason. So oftentimes they just think it's right. That's all. And we have to be able to understand that. Because if we can't understand it, we will continually say, them, us, 
we're the right ones, we're the good ones, we're the best ones. And, and this, is, this is where the Pharisees went. It can be around age. People of a certain age are likely to have certain f- feelings, certain ideas about technology. This is not always, this is a generalization, don't get t- too much, but I don't Snapchat. I don't know how to Snapchat. Let me, let me just say that right now. I don't know how to Snapchat. But it's not just I don't know how to Snapchat, because if I don't know how to Snapchat, what it does is it creates an us versus them mentality. There are those who do Snapchat. And then there are those of us that don't Snapchat. Why? Because we haven't given into social media. So we try to make it sound like we're righteous somehow that we do that. When really what it is is I just don't know how to Snapchat. That's what it is. And I'm saying Snapchat, and I'm not even sure what that means, okay? Just to be honest with you, okay? I Wikipedia Snapchat this morning just to think, I ought to, ought to, and I, as I started reading, I said, I don't even understand what Wikipedia, and when you can't understand Wikipedia, you've reached a new low. Trust me, I understand that. But my daughter, will, Reagan, will say, hey, did you see what Cody posted? And I'm like, no, where did he post it? I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. She goes, oh, it was on Snapchat. And I get this condescending look of poor old dad, the dinosaur. My phone keeps getting smarter and I keep feeling dumber. That's, that's what's going on here. And so it, it can be in so many ways. You get this us versus them mentality. It can be in music, it can be in culture, it can be in race, it can be in wealth, it can be in education. But here's the scary part, it can get into churches. And this is what's important. It's important for us to grapple with this because God loves all people. So when it comes to God, let's think about this. When it comes to God, Who's the, who's the in group? When it comes to God, who is us and who is them? What kind of people does God identify with? What kind of music does God like? What kind of language does God speak? See, the problem is God made us in his image. But the, what we do is we remake God into our image. And we think, well, I think this is what God looks like. I think this is what God likes. I think what this, is God, this is what God likes in me. And we get off on that because people matter to God. Which people? All people. How much? More than we can possibly imagine. And this is the message that Jesus is teaching to his disciples, to his followers, to everyone who will listen to him. And he's going to teach it even if it kills him. And it does. People often ask me, and I put this on on the title page, what kind of church are you? I get these calls sometimes, and I mean, maybe there's someone here who did it. You get the, so I'll just, forgive me. I get these calls sometimes, and it's, what kind of church are you? Now, that is an incredibly loaded question. I mean, you think about that. That means that somebody is coming from a background, and they have likes and dislikes. They have things they're looking for and things they do not want to see in a church. And they go, what kind of church are you? And their idea is, I want you to start talking so that we can judge whether we're going to actually visit your church or not, or, or, or affiliate with you, or do something with you. And so what I've done is, I've told, I, I, now I tell people, I say, okay, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure what it is you're looking for, but let me just tell you something that we kind of revolve around to begin with. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything can happen when God is involved. I said, let's start there. Let's start there. Everybody's welcome. We don't care your background. We don't care what you're coming from. We don't care about that stuff. You're welcome here. Nobody's perfect. We are all sinners. 
we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And anything can happen when God is involved. Um, I was visiting someone not too long ago. And when you walked in their house, there was a, there was a decorative plaque, one of these things that looks like it's a chalkboard, but it's really actually permanent, but it looks kind of interesting and cool. And it said, welcome to our house. We're thrilled that you're here visiting us because everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible when God is involved. And I was like, you stole that from me. That's copyrighted. No, it's not. It's not. It's, it's all over the place. There's a number of churches that say that. I don't know. It's just, it's gone, it's gone everywhere. But I was thinking, wow, what a great way to, you know, to greet people as they enter your house. And so we come to this passage. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. All right. Now, we have talked about tax collectors and, and, and about... Um, these kinds of things, but I just need to hit on the, I know a lot of you know, know a good bit about this, but in those days, a rabbi and a tax collector was about as us versus them as you could get in any two people in the world, all right? And, and just a reminder, he's sitting at his booth. What would happen? Rome would put tax collection for areas up for bid, and they would, they would purposely grant the right to collect taxes in an area to someone who's local. They wanted them to know the customs. They wanted them to know the culture. They wanted them to know the people. They want, so they, for the purpose of collecting taxes, not because they cared about customs, culture, or people, just for the, a better tax collector is that way. And so what would happen is they would set up a tax collector's booth, a table, whatever it is. And often, usually it was at where there's a bridge over a river because that narrows it. No one can go around. Or oftentimes at a major crossroads. And, and in, in that area where there's so many mountains, if you've got a cart you know, of tomatoes and you're coming down to the market and you see the tax collector, it's like, oh man, he's got to collect, he's going to collect taxes on my goods. But I can't go around because it's mountains. I can't carry this cart over a mountain. And so they would pick spots where it purposely funneled people and they would collect taxes. Oftentimes it was at a choke point was where one one kingdom to another so that they could catch people moving from one kingdom to the other and collect those taxes, give them a, a stamp or a piece of paper so that it couldn't be collected on again, and off they would go. So they would pick someone who was local to collect taxes for the hated government that's in a land far away and has enslaved these people. So people hated tax collectors. They hated them because oftentimes, you know, they would bid and they were allowed to collect more for their, for their part and they would just squeeze as much as they could out. So they were known for oppressing their own people in order to enrich Caesar, to enrich Rome, and to enrich themselves. So they were hated. Tax collectors were not allowed to testify in court cases. They were not considered trustworthy because they were traitors. Tax collectors were listed in lists with beasts and unclean things. Objects that if you touched would make you unclean because they were hated. A person who was devoted to God would not talk to them in any kind of conversational way, would not eat with them, would not touch with them, would not touch them, and would not even try to look at them because they were considered such evil people. I mean, we, we see this all, you see it in scripture, you hear the, they talk about sinners and tax collectors, sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because that's the lowest you can go. You know, if you're a sinner, if you're a person who's done some terrible things, you I know I've done some terrible things, but at least I'm not a tax collector. 
I'm above them. If you're a tax collector, you're like, there's nobody. I'm the bottom. So it's hard for us to grasp this. These are hated, viscerally hated people. All right? All the time in the Bible, we see this listed, sinners and tax collectors. And tax collectors get their own, their own category. You, know, you think about that. Sinners, tax collectors. Why do they just say sinners? Because tax collectors are sinners. Well, it's because tax collectors are such bad sinners, they get their own category. And, and they're, they're despised. Okay, so Jesus stops. Now, I love this because I like to think about knowing the disciples, what's going on in their mind. Jesus stops at a tax collector. The disciples are like, here we go. Fire and brimstone, baby. Come on, Jesus, give it to him. You know, guys, this is what happens when you wander from God. You become a tax collector and tell your kids and all these, ah, tax collector, right? So they'd all be afraid. It, this, they're sure. This is what Jesus is going to say, right? This is what would probably be in their mind. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Follow me. Imagine two words that changed his life forever. Two words that say, I want you to be my disciple. I want to be in relationship with you. I care about you. I care about your life. I know about your past. That's okay. I know about your present. That's okay. I want you to be a part of my group. You're my kind of guy. I'm sure that everyone watching is stunned. This is unheard of. See, this is something we have to get. This is scandalous. This is earth-shaking to them. They can't believe it. Now imagine Matthew. I'm pretty sure he's not been getting offers from rabbis to be his disciple much, right? Not a lot of people coming up, godly people coming up and saying, follow me. He just, he just gets disgust from them. And so what we see is God's grace. We see scandalous grace, unprecedented, socially upheaving, confusing, and head-scratching, inexplicable grace from our point of view. This is inexplicable. This is the worst person in the world as far as they're concerned. Imagine the crowd watching this. They're wondering, what is Matthew's reply going to be? What is Matthew going to say? Will he laugh at Jesus? He's, he, tax collectors always had a couple of Roman soldiers with them because sometimes people refused to pay taxes and it had to be enforced at the point of, of a sword. So they had this constant protection. The other reason why they always had a couple of Roman soldiers with them is because tax collectors oftentimes were killed by crowds because they hated them so much. So it was his muscle. It was his protection. And you can imagine them thinking, what is, is he going to tell them? It's hit him. Is he going to audit him? What is, what is Matthew going to do to Jesus? As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. This is not what they were expecting. This is not what any, anybody was expecting. He left everything. He left it all. We need to think about this. Because it turns out that Matthew... The one person that everyone around thought was the most unlikely candidate for following God in the whole world was one ask away from the kingdom of God. Think about that. 
He was someone that everyone said, he's too far gone. He's below the sinners. He's the worst of the worst. He was one ask away from a relationship with God. That's all it took. You and I do not know who around us is one ask away from a relationship with God. We do not know. And sometimes it is the person we least expect it to be. So, Matthew gets up and follows. But the story doesn't end here. It continues. And the next phrase is another, in that day, this would be an earth-shattering phrase. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Not only did he talk to this tax collector, not only did he say, follow me, but he went to his house. I would love to know how that came about. I would love to know if Matthew said, Jesus, I got this great idea. I'll invite all my friends. This is going to be the killer party. Or did Jesus say, hey, Matthew, why don't you invite your friends? I, I mean, I don't know. But here's the deal. Dinner is an incredible thing. Dinner in that culture means I accept you. I protect you. You're like kin to me. You're one of my people. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Okay? You have to understand that the people on this guest list have not been invited to a dinner with a rabbi probably in their whole life. Right? Can you imagine they get an invitation from Matthew, come have dinner with Jesus of Nazareth? They'd be like, wait, he's a rabbi. What? Matthew got religion, right? You know, they're, they're wondering what's going on. I would love to have heard the conversations in that room. I would love to know what they, because what do sinners and tax collectors talk about? Mostly sin, right? Guys, you won't believe what I did last Friday. You know, that's mostly what they, so they've all come to this, this dinner, this party at Matthew's house. But the, the flip is this Jesus is here with some of his buddies, and I, I don't know what they said. I do know one thing that was probably said a lot. And I know this because I'm a pastor. All right? Because this is what happens to me. Um, one time I had a guy come up to me who had visited our church. And, and I saw him. He came up to me and he says, hey, you don't know me, but you're Pastor Bob, right? And I said, yes, I am Pastor Bob. He said, I was at your church Sunday. That was awesome, man. That was one hell of a sermon, dude. And I'm like... Thank you. Thank you. Interesting. You haven't, you haven't been to our church much, have you? He's like, no, man, I haven't been to church hardly at all. I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. So he looks at me, he goes, oh, I said hell. I'm sorry, reverend. And I was like, oh, I take more offense at reverend than I do Please don't call me reverend. <laughs> Please don't call me reverend. One time I was with, with a group. We, we were at a restaurant, and we were at one of my son's games. Up, we were up in northern Virginia. And um, this guy gets up from the table, and he comes over, and he goes, Okay, man, I need to ask you a question. I was like, What the heck? And, and I'm eating breakfast with my family. He goes, i got to ask you a question. They're saying that you're the pastor of a church. And I said, I am. No, you're not. And I said, I, I am. Why? You don't act like a pastor. And I was like, 
good, I'm glad. And he goes, you're at a church. You teach at a church. You speak, you preach at a church. I said, yes, I do. He goes, well, I'll be damned. And then he, he, goes, he goes, hey, sorry, Parson. And he, and he used Parson. I'm like, what? Where did that come from, right? Where did that come from? I imagine at this party, there were a number of times where people were like, oh, sorry, Rabbi, like that. People say, oh, oh, sorry, Rabbi. Because this is, this is what goes on, and this is what's happening. Jesus has reached Matthew, and now he's reaching his friends. You never know who's one ask away. There are so many people who look like them, who look like the other, who may be so close and hungrier for God than we actually suspect. You know, we can talk about um, 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 issues that are going on in our world, but there are some things that are byproducts of the issues that are going on in our world that we need to be aware of. And one of those things is based on the whole fact that God takes evil and turns it into good. There is a revival going on now among Muslim people. We don't see it because it's not the flavor of the day, and it's not something necessarily that, that national news would be real thrilled with or, or anything else like, oh, I don't need this. Why did I even say that? Take that back. Oh, take that back. I'm not going to. But here's what's going on. Here's what missionaries are reporting. Here's what missionaries are reporting. Muslims are coming to Christ in numbers that have never been experienced as, as long as anyone can remember. Why? Why? Because of the turmoil, because of the upheaval, because of ISIS. People have started to say, man, why? What's going on? And they look elsewhere, and God is working, and God is working. Church, there's some churches in Europe that are growing at an incredible rate with former Muslims because they came as refugees and suddenly their, their belief system has struggled and they've sit, all this turmoil in their lives and they start looking and searching and God is working. God is working. And so you never know who's hungry for God. You never know. The people who we think are the furthest away sometimes are closer than we realize and we're always surprised by this. Religious people are always surprised like this. And, and uh, they're looking at Jesus and saying, what kind of rabbi is this? And I'll tell you what kind of rabbi is. He's the kind of rabbi that says people matter. Which people? All people. How much do they matter? They're worth the cross. There's no us in them. So when the Pharisees saw this, they asked their disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the first thought is, what are the Pharisees doing there? Right? I, don't think, I don't think they would have accepted Matthew's invitation to come. I don't think Matthew would have invited them. Well, one of the big things in those days, oftentimes dinners and parties were held in a big open courtyard, and people came and watched. It was just normal. It sounds so weird to us. But people would just come and watch. They'd just stand there. Because sometimes there's entertainment. I don't, I don't even want to think what the entertainment is at a party for sinners and tax collectors, but that's, people would come and watch, and, and, and oftentimes there'd be entertainment. Sometimes there'd be speeches. Sometimes there, 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 there'd be you know, different things people would do, and, and, and people would just come and watch, and that was totally normal, not unexpected. It was expected, actually. So the Pharisees just came to watch because what happens? They hear, wait, he's going to go eat at a tax collector's house? That is the ultimate unclean thing you can do. I want him, I don't, I, yeah screenshot or it never happened. You know, we're going to go and take a look at this. So they go and look 
And they're watching. So they ask Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher do this? This goes against everything we believe in. They're thinking, we're the ones that are connected to God, not these people. He should be eating with us. They couldn't figure out what was going on. And so the question is, the question they're asking, how can someone who loves God do this? How is it possible? These are evil people. And if you accept them, then what you're saying is that what they do is okay. And so what do we do? We, you know, their idea is we protect ourselves from sin by staying as far away as possible from it. And, we, and we've talked about that, the different versions of, of Pharisees that were around in that day. There was even some, uh, mentions for they're called the black and blue Pharisees because their idea was if, if a woman comes along and I might lust, I'll cover my eyes while I'm walking. And they would bump into things. And so this is, uh, this is something that, that um, they, they believe, why are you even here? You're giving credence. We, should, we need to keep as far away from sin as possible. We often do this with child rearing. And I, I admit it, I did it too. And maybe it's not always the best. Maybe there's times where it's appropriate, but maybe it's not always the best. Because I've seen that we try to protect our children from seeing pornography. And then we hope for the best. We hope they don't see it. And the truth is they do. They will. You cannot give them a phone. You can block the computer. They have friends. Their friends have phones. They're going to see it. So maybe what we need to do is address the issue head on and teach our children how to deal with it when they do see it and how to know why it's wrong and what it will do to them if they indulge in it. Because the statistics are clear. If a child is 12 years old, 80% or higher have viewed pornography of some sort. And so if we fool ourselves and think, well, I don't think my kid, that's a dangerous way to go. It's a dangerous way to go. There need, we need to teach and be involved. Okay, that's a side issue. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this is interesting because Jesus, when he says, um, on hearing this, Jesus, uh, yeah, verse 13, but go and learn. I love this because this is a phrase that the Pharisees used. This is a phrase that Pharisees would use sometimes when people would ask him a question and they thought the answer was so obvious that you really should know this answer. So then what they would say is, go and learn, and they'd give them a scripture that will, they can find their answer rather than just answering it because it was kind of a condescending. That, that, that question's below me. So it's a little bit of an elitist, condescending thing to say, go and learn, like to a child. And so they ask this, Jesus hears them, and he says, you go and learn. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's from Hosea 6.6. 6. And in the book of Hosea, what's going on there? What's going on there is that the people of God, especially the elites, have started to mistreat the poor. They started to deal with people in ways that, that, that were unfair and were against what God wanted. But they would show up on Saturday at the temple and offer sacrifices. They would make sure they did the ritualistic things that God said to do, but when it came to treating other people, they lived totally different. It'd be the idea of they would show up on Sunday morning and say, praise the Lord, 
But Monday through Saturday, they lived in a way that was not glorifying to God. And so Jesus says, hey, you go and learn. You go and learn. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's not saying throw out the sacrifice. He's saying what comes first? Mercy. How we treat people. It's because God doesn't divide the human race up into two categories, us and them. Jesus is telling them, my father, he wants everybody to be us. My father loves everybody more than you can possibly imagine. My father aches for people who are far away from him like Matthew was. He's saying, I didn't come. I didn't come for the people who are connected. I came to help people get connected. And for the people who have gotten disconnected. And what is he telling them? When he says, go and learn, uh, when he quotes Hebrews 6.6, he's telling them, you're like them to the Pharisees. You're very ritualistic, but you're far from God. So in a sense, he turns it right on his head. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And he's saying, you're one of them. You're one of the sinners. Because when the Pharisees got together for a party, guess who they invited? Other Pharisees. They studied with Pharisees. They went to church with Pharisees. They met together week after week, year after year, decade after decade. They never welcomed outsiders because they didn't want them. And they thought God was happy with this, that they got this nice clique, this nice group of tight people. They thought the fact that they excluded sinners and judged sinners was something that made them closer to God. They never realized that it was impairing their ability to love God, and it was driving them further from him. And so Jesus says this, and I'm telling you, this drives them crazy. This has to have driven them crazy. First of all, he uses one of their favorite quotes and turns it on them like they're some little kid that's asking a dumb question. And then he quotes from Hosea about the people who were the elites who were far from God. The implication is so obvious. He's driving them nuts with this. But he's doing it for a purpose. You know why? Because he wants to reach them too. He really hopes they go and learn. Jesus would love it if one of those Pharisees went back to the book of Hosea and started reading that going, is this me? Is this me? He wants to reach them. He wants to show them God's heart. He wants to show them who matters to God. He's, he's telling them, your God is too small. Your God is too much like you. Because God loves people. So he tells them the story of the lost sheep. The one that was lost and the shepherd is relentless in finding the sheep. I, I talked about this a couple, a couple weeks ago, going to a place that was the place for sinners and tax collectors called Chuck E. Cheese and losing... <laughs> losing one of my kids and I didn't call my wife and said hey we still have three kids no big deal right I mean I know I know you know the fact that we've lost one is suboptimal but let's focus on the found ones let's celebrate the three that made it right because if you lose a kid there's only one thing that matters find that kid find that kid I mean, it was so bad that time I was talking to my kids about this. I put Cody on the search team. Cody, Cody. I said, Cody, you go look for your sister. We're looking for Reagan. Let's go. I know you're only three. Are you going to use that as an excuse at this moment, really? Are you going to do that to anybody? You're on the search team. Because there's only two teams. The searchers and the searchee. 
That's it. That's it. And the Pharisees thought there was a third team, like the spectators or something. The watchers and the critics. There are people who are not connected for God, and there are people who love God so much that they'll do anything to help other people get connected with God. That's what we have to do. So we have this man, Jesus, who welcomes sinners. Why would he do that? Because he couldn't not do it. Because people matter to God. Which people? All people. You have never seen a person in your life that God doesn't love more than you can imagine. And so they had these categories. There were religious people and irreligious people. And Jesus says, I'm having none of that. We tend to divide ourselves up in those things. We tend to, to, to look at the world in that way and operate in that way. And Jesus says, I'm having none of that. Because Jesus welcomed people that no other rabbi would welcome. Jesus welcomed Roman centurions. He welcomed adulterous women. He wel- welcomed leprous and prostitutes and Gentiles and cheats and the demon-possessed. And when he was dying, he welcomed a thief on the cross. And so for us, we're his church. We're his body on this earth. Who's welcome here? Who's welcome here? We want to believe this. We want to know. We welcome believers. We welcome unbelievers. We welcome skeptics and mockers and Republicans and Democrats and young people and old people and people in suits and people in jeans and people with wrinkled skin and people with every color of skin and people of every language and respectable respectable people, shady people, addicted people, messed up people skeptical people, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, humanist, I don't know what I am people, married people, divorced people, single, all people. Because God loves people. Which people? All people. How much? More than we can possibly imagine. So as we look at this, as we think about this, we have to think about why we're here and why. Why is everybody welcome? And why we don't want it to be just words. We don't want it to just be a slogan. And what it means if we say everybody's welcome at our church. So that when you see somebody in a parking lot, you see somebody as they're going around this church or somebody who has a question or somebody you're sitting next to maybe. And you don't know their story. What hangs in the balance there is that are we willing to be welcoming? Are we willing to say, yep, in this community... Everybody's welcome. And then it carries over. Not just here. It carries over to work. It carries over to your family. It carries over to your neighborhood. Who do you connect with when you see someone in pain? Are you willing to say, can I pray for you? Do you want to get a cup of coffee? Do you want to talk? And maybe at some point, if the time is right, say, hey, would you like to come with me in my church? This has really had an impact on my life. Or you see somebody going through difficult transitions in their life. Can I help? Can I pray? You know, it's very interesting. I found this. I, I have a number of different friends, and, and um, I have a couple friends who are not believers and are not uh, even, they'll, they'll say that they're either atheists or agnostic. And, and I found that a couple times when I've asked them, and they've talked about something, a medical thing or whatever, I've said, do you mind, do you mind if I pray for you? Oh, yeah, no, no problem. They're always open to that because they recognize the fact that that is someone saying, I really care. 
And so I, I want to encourage you when you think about that in different situations, you say, look, you know what? This may not be your thing, but do you mind? I'll, I'll be praying for you if that's okay. And it gives, them, it gives them the perfect right to say, you know what? No, I'd rather you don't. Fine, don't. And then do, just don't tell them. Right? <laughs> yes, we preach deceitfulness from this pulpit. Yes. <laughs> I just realized what I did. Yeah, but I believe it. So anyways... Well, we, we become, we, we start realizing, I, and, and this is hard for us to do. It's hard for us to say and understand the ways that we've created us versus them, but we've done it. You, they do it at work. You do it at school. You do it everywhere. And, and to break down those barriers, to say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be loving and welping, welcoming to everyone. And, if, and it boils down to us just saying this, God, who can I reach? Who can I reach like Matthew reached his friends? Who in my life may be just one ask away? God, help me. Help me to do that. And there will, you know, and God will bring opportunities. Sometimes he just brings them and it hits you out of nowhere. And then sometimes opportunities are, are we make them happen. We, we figure out ways of making it happen. And, and it, can be, it can be something, and it's not like I'm trying to plug all this, but I am trying, I guess. Um, we're going to start having seeing you students for dinner. doesn't mean they're all Christians. You don't know. You don't know. But they may be all Christians. But some of them may be struggling, and they just may be one ask away from spilling their guts and having somebody pray for them and finding God work in their, in their difficulties. It, it could be something as, as simple as getting involved in something like that. It could be something as simple as getting involved in a small group. Getting involved in a situation where you begin with a group of people to love each other and get to know each other better. And then you are open and you can start sharing your, your, your joys and your sorrows and your struggles and the difficulties that are in your life and know that there's this group of people who know me, they love me, they will pray for me, they care. Getting involved in things like that is how we begin to experience those things in our lives. Because what happens is, when you get involved in a situation like that, maybe it's a small group, maybe it's inviting people for dinner, whatever it is, it begins to open your eyes to more opportunities. and You begin to see more chances to be a person like Matthew, who impacts the closest people in their lives. So I encourage you to be thinking, just right now, just be thinking and praying about it. These things will be coming up. We'll be talking about them more, giving more opportunities, and we'd love to have you get involved. But first of all, just be praying about it. God, what would you have me do? And then be saying, God, I'm willing. Maybe this week you'll bring somebody. Maybe this week I'm going to bump into somebody. I was studying this message. I'm telling you, I was studying this message. I said, God, maybe you'll, I'll bump into somebody. And, and, and um, Friday... Friday, a part of my diet is I have to go to McDonald's once a week. Um, so I went to McDonald's, and, and through it, the weirdest series of circumstances, right? You ever had that happen to you? It's these weird series of circumstances. I pulled in. It looked crowded. I thought, oh, I do not want to wait for something that's poison to my body. I want it immediately. I'm going to leave. So I circled around and I was getting ready to pull out. And then it just hit me. You know what? If I leave, I'll go to the next place that has poison and there might be. So I'll just go get in line, Bob, you big dummy. So I, I decided to pull in instead of leaving. And when I pulled in instead of leaving, I went in and I ordered and, uh, you know, they give you, they'll bring it to your table because everybody's getting so polite now. 
I think because of Chick-fil-A, I think is the reason for that. But the, you bring this thing to your table, and so I usually go sit by the TV and, and watch the news. But this time I thought, oh, you know what, I don't, I'll just sit here, I'll just do something. And I sat at the table closest to the register, and, and then this lady comes up, and she's having this difficulty with her car, and the little girl at the register is being so kind and so helpful to her, and... Um, and she sat down next to me and she started crying. The poor lady, she's, I got to know her, she's 90, 98 years old, which made me go, you shouldn't have driven here, but I'll, I'm okay with that. Um, but, and, and she couldn't get her car started and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and she said, but somebody's coming, don't worry about me. I said, okay, I, I, won't, I won't worry then, that's fine. And we talked a little bit. And then I just said, would you like me to try? And she said, oh, please, try to start my car. So I went out and started it right up. Um, and she thought I was a miracle worker. And I wanted to take credit for it. But I said, no, when you push the button, it says right there, put your foot on the brake or the car won't start. It says it on the screen. Because then I was like, how did you get here? <laughs> this is so... But, it, and it just, you know, it was all through these, there was about three different things that I looked back and said, wow, what a coincidence that I did that. What a coincidence that I decided not to go. I decided that and sat there and did that. And I realized this, those aren't coincidences. That's God. That's God saying, Bob, I want you to impact this lady's life. And we, we were able to talk for a minute or two and just say a few things. And when you start to pray, God, bring me opportunities, he does it. We just have to have our eyes open to it. That's my biggest problem. I'm really good at looking back and going, ooh, I just missed an opportunity. Is that we just have to have our eyes open to it. All right? God, how can I be like Matthew and reach my friends? How can I do that? Give me ways. Give me concrete ways, Lord. Just be praying that and then see what he does. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. A man that in the eyes of this world is unimaginably lost was the worst of the worst, was the deepest in evil. And you rescued him with two words, follow me. Father, we thank you that that is possible because we know we are the recipients of that very same grace that Matthew received. If we know you, we have experienced that grace, that healing, and that freedom. And so, Lord, help us to be willing and active in passing it on to others. Help us to be willing to plant, plant seeds. Help us to be willing to just even do little things. And Father, we pray that you would bring us opportunities this week and that we would be encouraged by that, <clears throat> encouraged by knowing that you are working in our life and you are accomplishing things. In Jesus' name, amen. We're uh, going to take an offering. And we just want to say that if, if you're new here, if you're visiting, you're our guest. We don't want you to feel compelled to give. This is what our regular attenders and our members do as a part of their worship.